Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see everybody. Everyone having a good summer so far? Good. Hope everyone is enjoying themselves. Many of you have been on vacations and some of you are planning to go on. And I hope you enjoy yourself and uh, have a great time. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6. And for those of you just joining us, all of these messages are available online. And also we have a smartphone app. So if you're going on vacation, it's a great time to catch up on any messages you may have missed right there on your smartphone. So um, we're going to be in Ephesians 6, and just a little review, we've been talking about household codes, if you will, and the past few weeks we've talked about husbands and wives and how that works, and children and parents, and today we're going to talk about on the job, um, employers and employees. And for those of you who are tired, I ask you not to check out because this still has application. Because whatever you do, you're working for the Lord, as the video we just saw. Um, I want to start off with a funny story. I was reading, um, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but there was a CEO. And he was wanting to shake the company up a little bit. And he had come in and he realized that at this particular company there was a lot of slackers. And he's like, I'm going to show these guys. He was the type of uh, type A um, take charge personality. So he went to um, one of the meetings and he was observing some of the employees and he decided, you know what, at lunchtime, I'm going to shake things up. So lunch went up and all of a sudden he noticed that some people were delayed in coming back. And he saw one guy leaning against the counter and he said, I don't know who you are, but how much do you make a week? And the young, young man stumbled and he said, 300 a week. And he gave him an envelope with $1,200. He said, this is your four weeks notice. Pack your bags and get out of here. And uh, so the, the young man left and he asked the other people around him, who was that guy? And what kind of job did he do here at the company? And they said, sir, that was the Domino's delivery boy. You've just given him $1,200. And um, so he had a great tip that day for sure. So today we're going to talk about where many of you spend a lot of your life. It's been calculated if you start working about at 20 and you retire at 65 that you spent at least 90,000 hours of your life on the job. And some of you are retired or shaking your heads like I feel it. And um, many people do not enjoy their jobs. In fact, they did a survey of people in the office world and they discovered only like 43% of Americans are satisfied with their jobs, only 43. So 4 out of 10 are satisfied, 6 out of 10 aren't. In other countries such as Japan, the figure drops down to only 17% are satisfied. So is work part of the curse or why do we work? So this passage today is going to be a very interesting passage. And the culture is a little different in the time it was written, but I believe the application and the timeless truths are transferable. So we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 5. If you guys will take your listening guide or be on the screen, you can follow along with us. And we're going to, a little preview, we're going to talk about take this job and love it. So starting in verse 5, it says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling and sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with goodwill doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. I love verse 8. It's a promise, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. 
And then verse 9 gives an instruction to the masters, or you'd say the employers, for those of you who own companies. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask and pray as we read this passage that we would see timeless truths that would apply to where we're at here and now, whether we're still working, whether we're retired, that we'd see whatever we do should be an act of worship. And Father, I pray that you would give us insight into this text on how to turn work into worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're going to talk about five principles, they all begin with R by chance, of how to turn work into worship. And this is a passage for those of you who are doing the grind of the 9 to 5. Some of you work 12-hour shifts. You're going to need this on Monday when you go back to work because uh, this is hard. Now, the first principle is this. Recognize who really is in charge. Look at verse 5. It says, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ. So here's the thing about it is, how many of you have ever worked at a job that you didn't like? Anybody? Some of you are at that job right now. I still remember I've worked at several that I didn't enjoy, but one I really didn't like. I just moved back from seminary, and I was between churches at the time, young seminary lad, and um, basically the only job I could find was working at a fast food restaurant. And I'm like in my mid-20s, and I'm like, I didn't go to work on a master's degree to cook fries and sweep floors, but that's what I ended up doing for a while. And I still remember sweeping the parking lot. It was actually the Chick-fil-A down here on Hendersonville Highway. I was sweeping up the parking lot, and I'm like, God, why? You know, why am I here? What's the purpose? I didn't go to college to sweep parking lots. And in that moment, I had one of those spiritual epiphanies where the eureka moment, the light bulb goes off. I felt the Lord speaking to me. Guess what I'm trying to teach you, Timothy? And what do you think he was trying to teach me? Humility. And generally, in any trial, the quicker you learn the lesson, generally speaking, the quicker you get out of the trial. So I'm like, God, I'm going to start thanking you as I sweep this parking lot. I'm going to start thanking you as I take out the trash. Because if you're teaching me humility, I better learn it quick because I don't want to be here long term. So if you look at this passage, when it talks about bond servants and masters, uh, we need to understand a little cultural background. In the Greco-Roman world, um, they have estimated as much as one-third to one-half of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. And this type of slavery was different than American slavery. It was very much different. In fact, they said at least half the slaves would be free by the age of 30. And you could actually purchase your own freedom. And it wasn't anything glamorous by no means, but it wasn't as harsh as American slavery. So it brings up a question I don't want to address. A lot of people ask as you read this, is, is the Bible pro-slavery? I mean, that would be easy to ask that question as you read it, and the answer is absolutely not. Whatever the Bible describes, it doesn't always prescribe. And see, the whole thing about the Bible that will really help you, and it's really helped me, is the Bible is the story of God entered, entering into fallen humanity and trying to make it better. So whenever the Bible gives instructions on a certain institution, he's trying to make it better. And we know through history that the gospel was one of the very things that freed slaves. And you read throughout the whole Bible, we have something called the Old Testament, which is known as the Old, what? The Old Covenant. And the whole purpose of the Old Covenant was to set people free. And Jeremiah prophesied there would be a new covenant, 
And part of the new covenant is also to set us free. I want to read you a few verses um, to kind of show you God's heart and freedom. It says, for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. As many as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ. And it says, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. So part of the gospel is Jesus Christ came to set us free. And that's good news. Galatians 5.1 says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not be entangled again with the yoke of slavery. So here's the thing about slavery when it's mentioned in the Bible. It's mentioned because the institution already existed and God is trying to make it better for everyone involved. It's the idea of God entering into time and space and trying to redeem all of humanity. Dr. Martin Lord-Jones, many of you have heard of him, famous pastor in the England, Great Britain area. He was a famous heart surgeon. And he had given up uh, being a heart surgeon to pastor the small missionary church in Wales. And it created quite a stir, this great influential heart surgeon who's now going to the small church to be a pastor. And uh, at that time, uh, there was something called the women's um, temperance movement going on in that area. And they asked Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones to speak against the abuse of alcohol. And I want you to hear his words. He refused to speak, and here is the reason why. I have come to Wales with one answer, the gospel, and I will stick to preaching the gospel. Something that Martin Lloyd-Jones knew was the power was not in changing politics. The power was not in creating more, more rules and regulations, but the power was in the gospel. And the gospel is the fact that Jesus Christ died for fallen humanity, so that if we receive him, he changes us from the inside out. See, the way the world works, the way politics and every other system works, is we create rules and regulations and try to get people to conform to that. The way God works, he does it the reverse. He starts in the heart, and he changes you from the inside out. So the greatest need for America is not a political change, it's a heart change. And that truth is found only in the gospel. Amen? So if you look at this verse, it says how we're to realize who's in charge. Who really is in charge? Uh, Christ is in charge, right? And it says, your master's according to the flesh. It says, how are you to obey your boss? Um, so we're going we're gonna to have some principles that will transfer. We don't have slave-master relationships. At least you may feel that, that way in your job now. You feel like a slave to your job. But we have employer-employees. So we're going to take these principles and transfer the timeless principles to our culture. So what does a spirit-filled employee look like? Remember in Ephesians 5, we talked about being filled with the Spirit, and here's the result, husbands, wives, children, and parents, and also employer employees. Well, first of all, a Spirit-filled employee obeys his boss. Notice it says, with respect. The Bible says, with fear and trembling. Now, how many people in your job have such a high respect for their company and their boss that they have a healthy respect? Not many places in America today, right? So we need to bring respect back to the workplace. You respect your boss. You respect your company. An honest day's work for an honest day's wage, right? And also with truthfulness, it says in sincerity of heart. Now let me ask you a question. What would happen if, for those of you who still work on Monday, if you started working as though Jesus were the owner of your company? What if you were working for Christ's company? Would you work a little different if you thought Jesus was your boss? I know I would. 
And the truth is, he is, because the Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. He owns everything. So even if your boss is not a Christian, guess who ultimately is his boss? Every knee is going to bow before Jesus one day. So realize who really is in charge. Number two, remember who you are working for. Look at verse six. It says, not with eye service as men pleasers. You know, we have a lot of terminologies in this in the marketplace. I'm not going to use the more colorful ones, but we say, you know, someone's a brown noser or they try to do something a certain way. And there's more colorful expressions I cannot use. But basically it's saying, do not work in such a way that you're just trying to live up while the boss is watching. You ever notice, in your, for those of you who are retired, think back when you worked, how you worked extra hard when the boss was there, but when the boss was away, everything just kind of went back to normal. What Paul is instructing um, these guys is this. Listen, whenever your boss is away, you work the same because guess who ultimately is watching? And you're ultimately working for Christ. You're a bondservant. So here's what not to do on your job, just from this verse, a few points. Don't work hard just when the boss is nearby. It's easy when he's in eye view of you to like, I'm going to give it my all. But work hard because you work for Christ. William Carey was the first modern missionary. And uh, someone asked him what his line of business was. And William Carey said, my line of business is serving the Lord. I just happen to make shoes to pay the bills. He was a shoe cobbler. I love that. My business is serving the Lord. I just run this business on the side to pay the bills. And that's the way it is. We're all working a job, for those of us who work, but ultimately we're serving the Lord. Number two, don't work hard just to please your boss remember who's really in charge number three don't think of yourself as a slave to your job you know it's easy to get in that i'm I'm a slave i'm going through the grind but if you realize i'm working for christ christ is really my boss christ came to set me free so don't think of yourself as a slave to your job and number four don't half-heartedly do your job you want to work with all of your heart as to the lord not to men so if you serve your company well you're actually serving Christ well. To serve your boss well is to serve God well. One of the best gospel presentations is for you to do a good job. Did you realize that? And here's the thing. Ultimately, you may not realize this, but in the marketplace, for those of you who work, you're a minister in the marketplace. Now, your job is not to quote Bible verses throughout the day, which opportunity may come. Your job ultimately is not to um, you know, do certain things that you think would grab attention. Your job is to do a good job. And out of that good job, the Lord will open up opportunities for you to share the gospel. And I think we've got to get that. Do your job to the best of your ability for God's glory, and God will give you an opportunity to share Christ with others. Amen? Number three, rediscover that every act of work should also be an act of worship. Every act of work should also be an act of worship. Now, some of you are already holding the back of your pew and you're saying, wait a second, Timothy. If you only knew what I did, I have a very horrible boss, a bad job. Um, you, you, would, you would rephrase that point. But let, let, me, let me explain it like this. Whatever you do for Christ is an act of worship. So if you realize that Christ is ultimately your boss, he's the one that's really in charge, he's the one you're working for, Everything you do can be an act of worship. Amen. Notice verse six. It says doing the will of God from the what? From the heart with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. 
So it brings up the question, okay, if it's an act of worship, how is that? How do we do that? Well, if you look at this verse, there's a few pointers here. Work as worship is work that is done for Christ. If you realize I'm ultimately not doing this for my boss, I'm ultimately doing it for Christ, it's going to change the way you work. It's going to change that everything you do is as unto the Lord. Now, it's hard developing that mindset, and it may take a long time to do it, but start on Monday saying, this day is God's. This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. And my job, God has placed me here for such a time as this, and even though I may not like my job, if you turn work into worship, it changes the way your day looks. And some of you are really going to have to pray about this because I know it's hard. Now, the, the second thing is work as worship is done with all of your heart. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. We've only got one life to live on this side of eternity. So whatever God allows your hand to do, if it's worth being done, it's worth being done rightly with all your heart. And Martin Luther um, he understood this, and I want to read a quote from what he said. He, he said, you know, a lot of times people think that pastors are one thing and employees are something else and the pastor worships and the others don't. But listen to what Martin Luther said. The maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. And all the ladies said, <laughs> The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. So what does that look like? Let's say if you're a school teacher, and I know I have many school teachers in here, and you realize that next year you found out that Johnny's going to be in your class. And Johnny is the worst kid ever. You've heard the story. Watch out for Johnny because Johnny's one of those kids. What would you do if you knew that Jesus put Johnny in your class and you knew that Jesus was going to use you as an instrument of love and grace to Johnny? Would you see the problem in Johnny or would you see the potential in Johnny? You'd see the potential. What about for those of you who work the factory line and you're assembling parts and it becomes very monotonous? What if you thought that every part that I put together I could do as unto the Lord and it becomes an act of worship? Would that change the monotony into ministry? Would that change the work into worship? What about for those of you who are taking care of aging parents? And it, it's, it's, it's really challenging, and you're, you're visiting them, and you feel like it's a drain. What if you see that parent as someone that gave birth to you, not only, but also God is working on their hearts, and God's going to use this as ministry? Do you know that God can turn your misery into ministry? If you change your perspective. And I think that's what Paul is trying to do. Is you can turn work into worship. When you realize who you're serving. And who really is in charge. Amen. If you look on your listening guide. Um, there's a key insight I, I never saw before. But the word serve wholeheartedly. Can also be translated enthusiastically. And I didn't realize this before. But in the cultural context. In the Greco-Roman world. There were sometimes slaves who were set free because of their enthusiasm and loyalty to their master. Did you realize that? So maybe there's a hidden jewel. Paul is trying to give a tip on if you really want to be free, start being free in your heart. And once you're free in your heart and you're working enthusiastically, that will translate to freedom on the outside. And maybe there's a spiritual principle. 
that whenever you work at something with all your heart, with passion, it begins to set you free inside and eventually it changes things on the outside. God wants to start on the heart and it works its way outward. So serve the Lord enthusiastically. Number four, this is how to turn work into worship. Resolve to receive the lasting rewards from the Lord. Look at verse 8. It says, knowing that whatever good one does, he will receive from the Lord, whether he is slave or free. Did you guys realize that God likes to reward his children? He is a good, good father that lives, likes to give great rewards. And I hear that his investment plan is out of this world. I mean, he just loves to give rewards. Let me read a few verses to you, and you can write these on your notes. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For anyone who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder, or he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God rewards his children. Revelation 22, the final chapter in the Bible. Verse 12, Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Do you know that God has rewards for you? 1 Corinthians 3, verse 14. If anyone's work which he has done, which he has built, endures, he will receive a reward. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do we not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. So the Bible is full of encouragement. Listen, God's going to reward you. So could you imagine in this day for the slave that has a, a master and Paul saying, listen, keep on serving because really you're ultimately serving the, the great master, not this earthly master. And God's going to reward you for whatever you've done for him. So that's something to really think about. Many of us, when we think about standing before God, we, we sense an intrepidation and truly, it is a fearful thing to stand in the presence of a living God. But if Jesus Christ has taken all of your sin, what does it mean for a Christian to stand before God at the, the judgment seat? Or it's been called the Bema seat. Well, you guys ever remember high school graduation, college, whenever they had, you, know, you graduated, they gave out rewards. And I don't know about your school, but some schools that have like the best dress. Anybody win that? I know Luke and Jenna probably won that. They have the most likely to succeed, or, you know, the kid that always studied. Um, class clown. Did you get that, Aaron? Class clown award. Yeah, Aaron's got a great personality. Um, you know, they have all these awards at, uh, at the banquet, and usually your peers are the ones who say, you know, this is a funny guy, so he's, he'll get this award. But did you realize heaven is comparable? That when you stand before God... You know, your eternal destination's already been decided if you've accepted Christ and the gospel. But what you've done, whatever you've done for Christ, with the right motives, the right intention, you will be rewarded. You've graduated. You've graduated from this earth. You've entered into heaven. And there's going to be rewards given out. So the Bible is full of encouragement. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Colossians 3.23, it says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, he is the Lord Jesus Christ you are serving. So since you're going to be rewarded in those things that are eternal, what are the eternal things that we should invest in? I know of at least two things that will endure forever, and that are people, that's the souls of humankind, and the word of God. 
So as believers, for those of you, and I want to call out the Sunday school teachers, many of you have taught that kids class. Even when there are only one or two kids, you've invested, invested, and you're like, there's no one coming. Guess what? God's going to reward you for investing in those one or two kids. For those of you who've been teaching the ladies' Sunday school class for 30 years, can you imagine what the investment in heaven is going to look like? Whatever you do for Christ, that's the only thing that will last. And it's great to have investments here on earth, financial investments, stock portfolios. All those are good, but only what is invested in eternity lasts forever, lasts beyond your lifetime. So that's something that Paul would encourage us is whatever you do, work as for the Lord, not for men. Amen. Number five, we're going to turn the tables. And for those of you who are supervisors, um, leaders, CEOs, uh, company managers, um, you have some responsibility in your job. The next verse is for you. Number five, respect those who work for you, because guess what? You also work for God. Now, verse 9, Paul turns the table, and I wish you could see this in the original culture. This would be kind of scandalous what Paul is asking the people to do. Now, listen to the verse. And you masters do the same things to them. So he's saying, serve your slaves. And that was so revolutionary. Like, in this day and time, I mean, the master could be very brutal to the slave. Um, some, in some cases, they, they even tortured them and didn't reserve any kind of consequence and paul's saying listen he's speaking to institution that he doesn't necessarily agree with but he's trying to make it better he's saying serve those who work for you this was the work labor of the day as i mentioned one third to one half of the roman world were slaves so this is the workforce so he's saying serve them giving up threatening knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there's no partiality with him so if you were a slave owner in that day and you heard Paul say this, you would think, this guy's lost his mind. So he's saying, listen, God's ultimately in charge. And you're going to have to give accountability on how you treat your employees. So uh, I was reading this. You ever hear the story about the bad boss of the year? Or some of you work for the bad boss. But this is supposedly a true story. This lady was writing. And she said, I asked my boss to go on a, a few days notice because my grandmother was dying. And listen to what the boss said. She said, your request is denied because this is an unplanned vacation. And she said, I quit on the spot because I had to see my dying grandmother. And the boss said, you need to plan your vacation a little better. Talk about a bad boss, right? So if Paul could speak to that boss, he would say, listen, treat your employees fairly. Don't treat them like a taskmaster. Serve those who work for you. So here are two tips on how to be a better leader Better boss, for those of you who are in leadership positions in your company, uh, we have many in our church. Here's two simple tips. Treat your employee like he or she was Jesus in disguise. Because if you're serving Christ and he's the one in charge, how you treat people is how you treat Christ. You remember the verse in the, in, in the Gospels where it says, if you give someone a cup of cold water, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done to me. I'll think about that. that applies to work relationships. So treat that person, no matter how bad or hard they are for work or how much of a slacker you may think they are. They may be like the Domino's delivery guy we talked about. Um, treat them as though they were Jesus in disguise because you're going to treat them differently. Number two, treat your employee with fairness and respect. Fairness and respect. That includes the right pay. That includes giving them time off. I mean, treating them the way you would want to be treated. This is the golden rule. 
If you look back at verse 9, it says, Masters, do the same things to them. In other words, treat them how you want to be treated. Wouldn't the world be a better place if everyone simply followed the golden rule? Do unto others as you'd have them to do unto you. So you're like, how? okay, this sounds great theoretically, Timothy, but how do we do it practically? On your outline, I've listed five simple steps from... Uh, this comes from the Center of Leadership and Strategic Thinking at the University of Washington. This is how employ, employers gain the respect of those who they work for. And I think these are really good tips. The first one is be authentic. If you are in supervisory role, your employees want you to know that you're a real person. Be authentic. Be genuine. Number two, promote ownership. You don't want your employees to feel like renters. You want them to feel like owners. So give them ownership. They may not realize this whole theological grid that they're serving the Lord and Jesus. They may not know that, but you can give them ownership. Number three, develop their potential. What would it look like if everyone that you worked for growing up in your life saw your potential and developed it? Wouldn't you be further than you and I are now? I know I would be. So develop their potential. Number four, create an energized culture. Be positive. Don't be negative. You know, sometimes people have just the stinking, thinking, bad attitude, and it sucks the life. Sometimes bosses have mood swings, and you notice that everyone, their production goes down that day. Create a positive culture. Some of you have been there. Number five, sacrifice when necessary. If, if your employees see that you're willing to sacrifice for them, guess what? Many of them will be willing to sacrifice for you. So I think that's very practical tips. So, closing applications, if you'll notice on your outline, I got this from a, an article called Traders, and I thought it was really well put to summarize this text. And the idea is, what would happen if you traded the American dream for the gospel dream? What would happen if you traded the American way of thinking for the way God says work should be? The first one is this. You view work as sacred. It's not a punishment for sin. If you realize in Genesis 1 and 2, Adam was working before the curse. Now, part of the curse was working by the sweat of your brow, but work is not the curse. It, it made it more complicated after the fall where the thorns and the thistles, but work existed before the curse. So some of us have bad theology thinking, oh, we have to work because of the curse. Guess what? You have roles in heaven. Did you realize that? Guess who we're going to be serving throughout eternity? They're going to have jobs and responsibility. So view your work as sacred. The second one is this. They find identity in Jesus. Not in a title on a business card, not in your role. And this is so hard for us Americans. We want to climb the corporate ladder. We want to be successful. But listen, your identity, whether you have a job, you're retired or whatever, your identity is in Jesus Christ, not in anything else. Kind of get a uh-huh. It brings meaning to work. Instead of focusing on what you can get out of work, you're seeing work as worship. So now you're seeing me going to work even if I don't enjoy it. If you start seeing it as worship, you'll enjoy it a lot more. The, the next one is works with excellence. Why? Because working with excellence brings glory to God. Not doing something half-heartedly, but doing it all the way and with your whole heart. And lives an uncompartmentalized life. Instead of segmenting Sunday from, from Monday, you see all of your life, every act of work, when it's done for Christ, can be an act of worship. Now, I know that's radical, and I know that's revolutionary, but it's biblical. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart, as to the Lord and not to men. So here's your truth to take home. You can turn your work into worship by working with all of your heart 
for the king of your heart. Now, here's a few applications as we take some action steps. For those of you who are retired, you can apply these principles to a family member or spouse or a son or daughter. What would happen if you served them and you loved on them as though you were loving and serving Christ? The same principles transfer to those of you retired. For those of you who still work, some of you 12-hour shifts, some of you 8 hours, some of you work all the time, what would happen for the next five days, just for five days, if you said, I'm going to try to see my work as worship for God? I realize Jesus is my boss. I'm really working for him. And I'm going to be richly rewarded by him when I do this for him. Amen. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word that changes our hearts. And God, I realize that this is hard to do. I realize it's not easy to do. And I realize it's a day-to-day challenge. It's something we're to strive to work on and work towards. And Father, I'm praying for someone here that doesn't know Christ. That right where you're sitting at, that the greatest message you can hear is the gospel. That Jesus Christ died for your sins. That he rose again. And he wants to have a relationship for you. And as I said, Christ's intention is to set you free. So if you've never asked Christ to set you free, right where you're at, just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And that you rose again on the third day so that I could have life in your life. I ask you now to come into my life to forgive me of all my sins. I make you my Lord and my Savior. And Father, for the rest of us, I know this message was quite challenging, even for myself. But I pray that everything we do, everything we say, that we would begin moment by moment to turn acts of work into acts of worship. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said.